And Gary Neville responded instantly. He said, but I've got so much more to say on this subject. I found lots of people like that. It, 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 it's a rivalry of such intensity and emotion. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. As part of our Cadbury FC Roadshow, can you please welcome back out Emma, Karen and Ian. What? <laughs> we, got, we got our Guinness. <laughs> we got our Guinness. <laughs> we'll Emma, get you one soon. <laughs> Emma, I think this is on you. <laughs> you got your Guinness. <laughs> that was his fault, by the way. <laughs> you can blame him. <laughs> Thank you very much. I have to tell you, you. I've, I've never been more impressed with Ian Wright in my life. We got our pints of Guinness. <laughs> and uh, request from him, by the way. And he took one gulp and it went to there. And I was like, <laughs> that'll do. <laughs> I, I, don't like, I don't like when it, I like when it's still fermenting. I like to smash it down to about there. <laughs> When it's still doing its thing. I love it. John Aldridge got me. You remember that night when England threw all the seats down and that? I remember John Aldridge. I was there. And John Aldridge took me to that pub in Lansdowne Road. I must have had seven pints. It was the first time I ever drank Guinness. And I've been addicted to it ever since. <laughs> love it. I'd forgotten you were there that night. So that's interesting. There wasn't animosity between the players over that night at all. Of course there wasn't. It's just the idiots. <laughs> Where were you when that all kicked? Were you on the pitch or coming on? I was in the pub, mate. <laughs> uh, Michael Owen on stage. Your time at England overcrossed briefly? Or? Yeah, um, it's funny because like, I remember like, my, I heard Michael talking about Glenn Odell and Glenn Odell was the manager that kind of gave me a, a really good run for England. And it's funny because um, he told me I was going to the 98 World Cup you know what I mean? And um, I remember Michael just come in. Was it, how was you, Mike? You were 18, weren't you? Yeah. And uh, Michael just came in and he, he already told me that you're going to be going and this and that. But he's going to say, he said to me, you're going to play 45 minutes and then I'm going to bring the youngster guy on. I think Dion Dublin was in the squad as well. But then, you know, knowing that you're going to the World Cup, and I missed that. I missed all of them. I missed, in 1990, I missed that one because Bobby Robson said, because I broke my leg twice for, for that FA Cup final with Man United. He said he didn't think I was going to be fit enough. Then they didn't take me in 92 when I won the Golden Boot in England. 94, we didn't qualify. 96, Terry Venables left me out the, the day before they went to leave to go to, um, to, the, to the dentist chair in Hong Kong and that. And then 98, like 45 minutes. I was going to play 45 minutes, 35 minutes. I was chasing the ball down the, the, the left back, done my hamstring. And then that's when um, Michael came in. So everything... That happened, like Michael going on, Scott, because of me. <laughs> Cheers. And how do you look back at the time now, Ian? Do you feel like you didn't get a good crack at it? Is there any, I suppose, not bitterness, but you look back and say, geez, I wish I got more of a chance there. What, of England? Mm -hmm. No, nah, nah, because coming in as, as late as I did, 
I don't think you can be somebody that says, oh, he should have played me more and this and that. I was just grateful for the opportunity. There was a couple of games I played for England early doors. I played against Norway and I played against Russia. Missed two very good chances against Norway. And then this fella from Russia just marked me out of the game, couldn't get a touch. And then you've got people like, like Alan Shearer was just coming in and doing his stuff and Andy Cole. And, you know, there were so many people that if you miss Robbie Fowler, you know, somebody, if you miss the chance in that, then there's somebody else waiting. So I didn't take that opportunity. So I can't look back now and say, oh, Graham Taylor should have given me more. I'm delighted with the 33 caps. I didn't even think I was going to get to England, you know what I mean, at 21. You know what I mean? So I, can't, I'm not, I'm, I would not sit here and say, oh, I should have got more, more caps. Fuck that. <laughs> when... When Ian was on earlier, he was describing his favourite goal and talked us through it in perfect detail and instinctive. And I'm just curious, if you, you can swap notes. When you were in one-on-one, Michael, what were you thinking? What were you, where were you in your head? Was it all instinctive or did you have it all planned out and trained or how did you go about your business? Well, I think first of all, if Wrighty was uh, playing nowadays, I think it's fair to say that he'd be getting more than 33 caps because he was in a generation, that generation that you just mentioned of yeah. Andy Cole, Robbie Fowler, Shearer, Sharing. I mean, it was unbelievably competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's uh, certainly fair to say. But no, goal scoring is... Um... <laughs> goal scoring is a really interesting thing because I think there's certain goals that are very instinctive and I think there's certain finishes that, that you can practice under pressure. And I think if you look at someone like Mo Salah at the moment, nobody would, have, nobody would have had him as a great finisher eight years ago. And now you look at him and he's a great finisher in certain aspects. Um, now, I think when I was a kid, when I was a kid, going through one-on-one was something that I was put in the position a lot of times so I was fast um, as a kid, so a ball over the top, and I would naturally have time in front of goal. Now, I found that I didn't like going around the goalkeeper, mm. just my personal preference. I mm. felt as if taking a big touch and then dinking the goalkeeper was better or a slot. Some people just love going around the goalkeeper, but it's trial and error with finishing. The worst thing that I think happened to me was because I was quicker than everyone as a kid, I could always take a touch, put it exactly where I want. So I never practiced with my left foot. It was never like, you're getting chased, it's got to be on your left foot, you've got to finish it. So I think that almost hindered me from a left foot point of view, but it certainly helped me in terms of finding out what my best finish was. Um, And as I say, I always found that slotting the ball, looking at the goalkeeper, you're in control. The the, the basis of, of finishing is you're in control running towards the goalkeeper. You can put him wherever you want. I can change an angle, I can take a touch there, there, there. He's going to have to react to what I do. So I'm in control. But also, I'm waiting for the goalkeeper to give me, a, give me a, a, a bit of hope. Because if they get their angles right, it's very difficult to score against Peter Schmeichel or David Seaman or players like They're massive. So you need them to get something slightly wrong. You need to take a big touch for them to think, oh, he's made a bad touch. Sprint out, dive at your feet. No, 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 I'm a little bit quicker than you give me credit for. I'll dink you. <laughs> So you're always looking to either put them in a wrong position, uh, and that comes with time and practice. Instinctive finishing <coughs> is different, um, and that's when you just have a feel for where the ball's going to land, 
the majority of the time and you're in the right position, moving on to it at the right time. Um, so there's lots, when someone says, oh, is he a good finisher? I sometimes say, well, he's good at certain finishes, but he's got no instinct whatsoever to score a goal. So there's, there's different types of, of finishing, but I think, um, I think the one-on-ones were something that I'd probably mm-hmm. practice more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Emma, then one-on-one as a goalkeeper, Emma, <laughs> what are you doing? What's going through your mind? Well, it, it's, it's like what Michael says, that the advantage is with the striker. And you know that as a goalkeeper. And you have to make a decision. The, the best goalkeepers make the right decisions, basically. And when to, to close down the ball, when to mm-hmm. stay back. Um, that's changed a little bit in time as well. Dependent, like the speed of the game has, has grown. Goalkeepers don't tend to come out as quickly as they used to. They tend to kind of stay in the six-yard box. But for me, it was always about, you know, watching the forward. I would never, as what Michael said, I would never give them the advantage by making the decision for them. That's the first thing. Let Make them make the decisions. Um, and, you know, if they have a bad touch, yes, I will start to move out. But I never commit myself. Stay big. Um, and I was always really quick as well. Not, maybe not as quick as you. but um, I was quick, so I, I, I was always able to, to cover space. And if they moved the ball, I could move with them. That's probably one of my advantages. Was one of my... Not anymore. Was one of my advantages. But it's all about, you know, learning that. And it's difficult when you don't have the coaches to tell you that. We're going back to women's football. I mean, I was really lucky. I had a top top-class goalkeeping coach. Um, and then I did my badges, so I understood what it was to be a goalkeeper and the good time, the proper times to go out, and what it was like to be a forward coming in, because you learn that as a coach. So I knew kind of what to do, but a lot of goalkeepers don't have that. And as I said, things have changed as well. The best keepers stay, like Ter Stegen will stay, and he'll make those instinctive saves. He'll let them come in. Um, whereas we, was, we were always taught to go out and try to delay them and wait till your defenders get back. But now goalkeepers are staying back a little bit longer and inviting the players in. In uh, Erling Haaland, when he ran in behind West Ham uh, in the first week of the season, the second goal, Dion Dolan was a match of the day. And he was saying, as Haaland was running around to get onto his left foot, he said, this is him slowing down. And it strikes from afar that staying calm and actually slowing yourself down while moving at a high speed is like the trick. <laughs> yeah, but the thing with, um, when you look at Erling Haaland, when you look how he scores his goals um, and how he broke through there, he broke through with such pace and time that he had so much time to be able to go round onto his left foot. The goalkeeper couldn't stop it. And like, like Emma's saying there, and like Michael said, um, it's all about the, the forwards in, in, in total control Goalkeepers are waiting for you to make a bad touch so they could come out and smother it. And the striker, you're, if, if you've got the, the, the right touches, it's like I watched... Oh goal. I, Gabriel Martinelli scored a goal a little while back against Chelsea where he ran from the halfway line, Kante slipped. And I remember it because I was doing it. He had five touches. And what, by the time he got to the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper still couldn't do nothing. He was just standing there because if you get the touches right, the goalkeepers can't do anything. They can't do anything. Dave Seaman used to always say to me, I'm waiting for you to have a bad touch. I want you to go on to your... (laughs) (laughs) 
I want you to go to your weak foot. I want you to have the bad touch so as I could come out and smother it. I think Michael done himself a little bit of disservice because he said he didn't work a lot on his left foot, but I've not seen anyone. I saw the goal he scored. Remember the, 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 the Man United, Man City, when you, you know, I think Sean was trying to come back and tackle you. He had two touches and then the finish with the outside of his right foot mm. is the kind of finish that you do when, yes, you might not be confident on your left foot because of what he did, like he said, because when he was younger. But I've never seen anyone finish as, as clinically as Michael on his outside of his right foot. It's something that I wouldn't do because that's well, quite good on my left foot. <laughs> <laughs> but Michael, Michael, done, Michael done the kind of finishes with his right foot that I would love to have done. Done some, he scored some beautiful goals. And was, was there an FA Cup final with a very good finish on your left foot, I think, as well? Do you know the yeah. to yourself there? <laughs> <clears throat> some I don't know how Dave Seaman does save that. Fans Every time I see you. that, I don't know how Dave Seaman doesn't save that, I Mike. I can't believe I it. Yeah, I mean, I could strike the ball. I could strike the ball with my left foot, but if I could have one thing back, I would have... If I was teaching any young kids now, it'd be... It's okay striking a ball, but if you can manipulate the ball with both feet as well, then you're on to mm. a winner. And I couldn't really do that, but yeah, I could strike one, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, Karen, you've seen a bit of Haaland up close so far. How many goals is he going to score? He's unbelievable. Um, he's, not, he's in second gear as well, it's scary. Um, I think you're right, he's just ice cool in that moment, as you said, when he slowed down that finish. And, you know, people are denying the space, but he's still finding those little margins and. You know, I think the other day he could have, someone could have crossed it to him. He would have had a, a pass. I think it was Foden maybe could have slipped him in and could have had it. But at least he smashed 20 goals and plus, And that'll be a, a slow start. There's not many City players that come in first season and, you know, hit the ground running. But he's probably one that will. And, you know, second, third season, he'll even surpass loads of records. But he's an absolute phenomenon. It is early days at the minute in the Premier League. What way do you see it? Is City going to run away or how do you see it panning out? <laughs> I mean, it's only like three games in, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But, you know, Liverpool have... You what, sorry? Oh, um, I, I think it's... You know, I think um, Liverpool dropping the points, you know, mm-hmm. you, you lose a league by one point, you're already behind. And see... Arsenal are doing well, yeah, you're right. It's early days at the minute. So it is early days. Any day. I've, yeah, I've, look, it's, it's wide open, but that's what we mm-hmm. want. We want it to be exciting and, um, yeah, it's, it's one that we're all going to enjoy. And at the moment then, Michael Liverpool, they've had a bit of a shaky start. Yeah, poor start really, wasn't it? Um, I didn't think they played that well against uh, Fulham. They played a lot better against Crystal Palace. Started very well, but Palace were, were, uh, were good themselves. Um, Nunez was, uh, was obviously you know, a disappoint, disappointing game for him. Missed a few chances and then the red card. And when they've got a lot of injuries anyway, then um, that's uh, hopefully not going to hurt them and... They've got a big game next as well, away at Manchester United. Absolutely. Do you worry about Nunes at all, the way he got the red card and how he reacted? When, when you look at um, the record of Liverpool players under Jurgen Klopp, their d- disciplinary record, it's, mm-hmm. it's exemplary, it's brilliant. Um, I think at the top level now, you've got to be very, very careful. You don't see many people making mistakes. The, the margin for error is, is so small at the top of the league there. I mean... And a red card or something like that is just is disastrous, not only for the game itself, but um, for what he's going to miss now. So Jurgen Klopp didn't seem too happy afterwards, and he's going to have to learn fast. It was inexcusable, really, what he did, but he will learn because you know, they won't accept it at Liverpool there, and uh, 
I'm sure they'll be all right. Slow start, but I'm sure they'll be all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have any sense they're tired, that they've put so much into the last number of years and they play at such a high tempo? And, like, they probably haven't got what they deserve in some respects for all the brilliant football that it's tough to go again, I would think. Yeah, I, I, don't, think I don't think that's uh, necessarily the case, tiredness. Um, you know, this early stage of the season in, in particular, I think, you know, they have got a lot of injuries, um, but I wouldn't be worried at all about Liverpool. I mean, they'll, they'll come good. The problem is, as I say, the margin for error is so small nowadays, you're going to need ninety mid-90 points to, to win it, and already dropping two, two points twice against teams that you think, you know, probably should have been uh, beaten. They would have been delighted with the, with the opening games, thinking there's six points um, on the board. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a, big, a big thing to happen so early. You don't want to be giving Manchester City, you know, many more points head start because they are looking really good. Yeah. Ian, there's a few people asking about Arsenal. Yeah, Arsenal, they've started well, but just the just um, thing with Liverpool... I think you have to look at Liverpool. I thought Fulham were amazing on the first day in the, what they put the pressure on Liverpool. And the reason why they've done that is because you know that Liverpool have chased down a Man City side that are imperious. Right? If it wasn't for Liverpool, this fucking league would be shit. <laughs> right? Simply because, right? Simply because they beat them on two occasions. They beat them on two occasions by one point. And then they beat them up. They, they hammered them out of sight. If it weren't for Liverpool, it would be a procession. Right, I think that what's happened is, is that teams realise what you have to do in Liverpool. Fulham closed down the midfield. Liverpool at the moment, I don't know what's happened. Thiago's not playing. They've got no creativity from there. They go to the wings. They put it in the box. Between Palace and Fulham, they dealt with that no problem. They're going to need to find something in respect to their midfield, Liverpool. But they're going to have to. They're going to have to do it quickly because you cannot let City continue doing what they're doing because they, you can't see where they're going to lose a game. So Liverpool are just, they're just a victim of the fact that they've been so good. There's no way Liverpool are mentally tired. You watch the Community Shield game. They absolutely hammered Man City in that game. They were all over them. So it's just a case of, it's just been a bad start for them. And they're going to need to just, they're going to need to catch, catch up quick. But with Arsenal, Arsenal we're, so, we're far behind them. But we've got a balance. And he's got a team now that he believes can now win certain games. And the games that we've won up to this point are games that we probably may have got a draw or could have lost. You know, like we saw what happened with us at the start of the season against Brentford. They, have, they, we, they, were just, they just bullied us out of the game. Could have happened against Palace, but we were ready for that because we've made some signings that have made a difference. Zinchenko and Jesus have made a massive difference to the whole squad. And so now... The, the team are playing, they're playing the kind of football that the manager wants them to play. Whether or not they can continue to do that with certain injuries, because if he gets injured, Jesus, then what do we do? You know what I mean? We go back to the same people. You know, let me speak. If they wanted you to speak, you'd have a fucking mic. Let me speak. So, so all you want for Arsenal is to continue to just keep, keep playing at the level they're playing, and stay in touch. That's all Arsenal can do. Arsenal, with Liverpool and Man City and what they're doing, if Arsenal can stay in touch, because you can't write off Tottenham and that with Conte and that. So, so what you want to do is you just want to stay in touch. Don't get too excited. We've won two games, brilliant. We lost the first three last season. So we just need to just, like, keep it steady. Don't get, don't get carried away. Yeah, I was going to ask... got great hair. Yeah, 
Have you been watching the series on Netflix? Um, yeah, I, w- I, w- I watched some of it. It's, 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 it's pretty cool, yeah. It's pretty good. What do you make of Arteta and how he does his team talks? That was probably the thing that I took away from it that I, well, I suppose I wouldn't have known how it, what it was like to, to be in a dressing room and to see the way he does those team talks. But, uh, well, what it's doing is giving people a look behind the curtain, which is something mm-hmm. that, you know, as a player, I don't know how I would have dealt with um, having the cameras in there all the time because... I think there's some things for me in the dressing room that should be a bit more sacred than that. You know what I mean? They, they're getting a look right behind it. That's the kind of things, that, that's, that's the bread and butter of what you're doing. That's when you're at your most, your rawest and your most vulnerable. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm, I'm not keen on it, if I'm going to be totally honest, but it does give fans an opportunity to see what, the real nuts and bolts of what's going on at a, at a, at a top club, an elite club, which is not a bad thing. Emma, can Man United avoid relegation, or what do you think? <laughs> I mean, there must be loads of Man United fans in here, are there? Yeah. Can't believe we this so loud. We were talking about it before, weren't we, Mike? About the amount of Man United fans in Ireland, it's crazy. Um, oh, yeah, avoiding regula- uh, relegation, yeah, but I mean, it's just, it's a kind of a pity. I mean, I've never been a United supporter. My first boyfriend was, and I kind of pretended I was. <laughs> um, but it is a shame to see them like just fall like they have, uh, you know, for such a massive club. And I don't think they're going to go down, but uh, I mean, it's 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 just a shocking, shocking start for them. Yeah. I mean, four 0 against Brentford is just it's it's. It's unforgivable, really. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what they're going to do. They talk about it every week. Roy Keane talks about it more than anyone. Like, just get, out, get rid of everyone, get a new team in. It's so simple, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I do, I do actually think, and people might disagree with me, but I don't think Ferguson is helping anything. I, I don't think it has been a healthy environment with Ferguson still involved. Um, that was right from the beginning for me. Um, and for, such, for a manager with so much authority and so much success, it was always going to be really difficult for another manager to come in with him looming over them as well. Uh, I, I think that is a big problem. Not the problem. It's a small problem compared to the big problems sure. we have. But I definitely think it's something they, they need to have a look at. Karen, you were at the game. We saw you on Sky for it. Um, if you would park the Glazer stuff for a moment, just on Ten Hag, it was interesting even pre-game. You were looking at the Man United lineup. And before the game, you were saying, I've got reservations here about size. He may have underestimated what Brentford are going to do. And we saw what happened. What are your early impressions of Ten Hag? Again, it's, it's, it's too soon. And you can't ignore the, the cards that he's been dealt with. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, it, it, we can go on it all day. And my professor's here. I studied here. I studied here in Ireland, actually. Longford professor there. And he's a Man United fan. So, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it, it's a business from the business it's top down and as a manager is only as good as the players that he's given and he, he's dealt with a tough card but you would have to say recruitment as well you know you've got to bring in players I think he's got to bring in players now that have got Premier League experience and help him out a little bit um, but you're right you know we interviewed Thomas Frank and he put a pretty much told us his game plan and they delivered it and executed it and there's people saying they're the easiest team to play against and when people are telling you the game plan before the game and then being able to do it, it kind of suggests that um, and that's taking nothing away from Brentford because they were brilliant but it's too early to, to judge a manager because football clubs are run on stability 
um, and not much turnaround in terms of managers and players. When you have all that turmoil, you're never going to succeed. You have to build it on concrete, and at the moment it's way too turbulent, and Mm -hmm. I I don't know which way it's going to go, and I don't know the outcome, and I don't know the solutions, and I think, but that's the problem for everyone there. Nobody knows. Yeah. What's your read on it, Michael? I can't. I can't believe, I've been saying this for a few years, I can't believe that, that the players are as bad as they're showing. I just, can't, I just can't believe it. Because every time they sign someone, you go back for the last 10 years, they've signed some unbelievable players, you know, Di Maria's and Cavani's and Pogba's re-signed and all these great players. Yet, they all tend to walk away at the end of it with their tails between their legs and going, you know, moving somewhere else. And then they go on international duty and go and win the World Cup yeah. or go to another club and they're great again. <laughs> I can't That's because believe. The coach might better coaches. Absolutely. So I can't believe that these players are as bad. I think if you put Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp in, in, in charge of, of these players, then you would see a huge mm. difference. They've got to get their, their manager right. They've got to get, of course, lots of things right at that club because it feels like it's all crumbling around them at the moment. But I, if I was a fan, I'd be, oh, yeah, let's buy this player and buy that player. We've got loads of money, let's keep buying. But... They've got to sort it out. She's got to sort the structure out first. Got to sort the, the structure yep. of the club out and the manager and, yep. and get that sorted first before that. Because if you're if you're Liverpool now or Manchester City, you could buy average Joe down the road, and honestly, within a year, you'd think they're world class. It, it's unbelievable the the difference between coming into a winning environment, a, a, a confident environment, and going into an environment like that. That place at the moment, you could sign Mbappe. Give him a year or two and you'd think, wow, you know, what's, what's happened to him? And that's just what's happening at the moment. Mm. So I think, uh, I think it needs to be sorted f- structurally before you just start going, oh, yeah, spend yeah. another 100 million on him, 100 million yep. on him. That's not the way to do it at the moment. It's, uh, it's got to be sorted structurally before that. What do you make of the Ronaldo situation? Um, He's the only player in the squad at the moment that I would still back to score 20-odd goals in a season plus. Um, at the moment, if they, got, if they didn't have him, what are the options at Manchester United? You know, Rashford's not played well for, for a year or two. Um, Martial's come back. Well, he won, you know, flavour of the month before he left, and now he's, he's been brought back. I, I can't imagine he's going to be the answer. Cavani's gone. I mean, if they got rid of him, where, where do you, you know, I know you might say he's a stopgap, but Manchester United have, have, a, have a history. I, I, I laugh when people talk about, oh, where's the, where's the long-term view of having Ronaldo? Let's start afresh. Look at what Man United have done for years and years and years. Henrik Larsson, Ibrahimovic, you know, Cavani, Ronaldo now. There's loads and lo- uh, loads and loads of older players that have just come in at the back end of their career. It, unless you can find a, um, a Wayne Rooney again, you know, that's at the start of his career is going to give you 15 years, they've done that all the time. So, I mean, I'd do everything I can to, to, to keep him if I was United. How do you see it all unfolding this season? In? What for? United? Yeah. Um, there's a lot that needs to be done at United. It's blatantly obvious to see. You, you can't... You can't have the owners what you've got. You, you say not mention the owners. You cannot speak about Man United without talking about the owners simply because the recruitment and the people that they've employed to do the job at United have not been good enough. And this is why it doesn't make no difference who Man United sign, 
whatever man, whatever manager they, they employ, there's something happening at that club what is, is rotten from the top all the way through. So, you, you know, you, you made a joke at the start about are they going to stave off relegation? Everybody now, if you could choose a team to play, you pro- want to play Man United. They're in disarray, and it's not good to see. And I don't know if this manager is... is, is, is not, I don't know if... Even with this manager, and he's a very good coach, this guy, Ten Hag, he's a very good coach. If he came into Man United under a different structure, he'd probably be brilliant. He'd probably do great stuff. But when you look at the way that they are playing, I don't know what their structure is. I don't know what their system is. I don't know what they're doing. This is why people are saying, I'll just get rid of Ronaldo. He's the problem. He's not the problem because he will score goals. The fact is, Man United as a whole, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. People talk about Rashford. Rashford got into that team when he was 18, scored a lot of goals, done really well, kicked on. He's not been coached from the time he's been into that first team to this day. You know, people can blame him and say what he's won. He's trying, he's trying the best he can, but he's not been coached. If you put Rashford in Man City's side, he would be doing unbelievable things. You know, Jaden Sancho, I know he left City to go to Dortmund to come back. These players are, are talented players. Manchester, Man United's problem has been they've not addressed the problem of the midfield, the holding midfield, the creative midfielder that they can have in there. They've got Scott McTominay and Fred. With all due respect to them, they're good players in their own right with what they're doing. But the fact is, for Man United, it's not, they do not control games. They don't, they don't ever manage the game where they're in charge of the game. They say, right, we'll slow this down, we'll play it around a bit, then we'll get him in because he's quick. Enough. They don't do that. So I don't know how it's going to change for Man United. I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm talking, I don't know what to say. Yeah. We'll finish on a good note because we're out of time. There's a game between Stoke and Middlesbrough this evening. Yeah. Stoke were 2-1 down and then a certain grandson of Ian Wright scored the equaliser in the 91st That's minute. what we do, baby. I'm so proud of him. Yeah. I'm so proud of him. He's just doing what the rights do, baby. Just saving to <laughs> Well, he salvaged the draw. 2-2. There you go. Um, we are, of course, here with our friends at Cadbury FC. We're about to give away a prize and then we're done for the evening. But can you give a round of applause? Thank the you very Brilliant much. Brilliant again. So much. <laughs>